Brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be and abide with us always. Amen. I want to ask you a couple questions. The first one is, if you chose a number, any number at all, what's your favorite number? I want you to think about that. What's your favorite number? If you want to, you can turn to the person next to you if there's somebody there and share with them your favorite number. Hopefully you've done that. Now, I want to narrow the scope a little bit and take a look and say, if you chose a favorite number between 1 and 10, what number would that be? Do you have a number between 1 and 10? What might your number be? Turn to the person next to you and share with them if there's somebody sitting there with you. I want you to know that a lot of times on that specific one, most people will actually choose the number 7. I don't know if you knew that, but most people choose the number 7 when answering a question. Whether it's an illusionist, somebody doing tricks, or if somebody asks you to give a number between 1 and 10. How many of you were like that, where you gave the number seven? Yeah. One of the reasons that uh, people say that is because it's a perfect number sometimes, and that'll come around in our message a little bit later on today. By the way, here's another question. Bonus points. How many of you know what the seventh commandment is? Do you know the seventh commandment? I know. You shall not steal. That's our seventh commandment. I always remember that because you shall not steal from 7-Eleven or any other place. Now, let me ask you another question. Right now, we're under quarantine, shelter in place, stay in place. If you could think of one place that you would like to go when you were done with sheltering in place, where would it be? I know Crystal Woody put that on our Salem Facebook page as a question, and people are responding to that. But where would you go? Where would, what would you do if you had the opportunity once the shelter in place is lifted? Well, we're going to take a look at what the disciples did in our journey through John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And I'm going to be reading that, and we're going to pause a few places and just take a look at that with our reflections, our meditations, our message for this morning. But I know that for those of you, maybe there are some of you who are saying, I'm going to go on a trip someplace. Or maybe some of you are keeping it a little bit closer to home. You know now that some of the golf clubs, golf courses have opened up, and with physical distancing, people are able to go out and golf. Or maybe you've heard that there are some of the lakes in the area, in the metropolitan Southern California area, have opened up. And so you can't wait to get on your boat. Can't really go anywhere, but you can, they say that you can go and picnic on your boat. Or some people want to go to one of our national parks and hike around and enjoy and see God's beauty and God's creation. Or maybe you're wanting to go on that vacation that you've been thinking about. Or maybe just get away someplace. Or even going to the beach. 
whatever it might be, there's a lot of different things that we want to do. And how we react after we've been under lockdown and shelter in place and stay in place, trying to get rid of that anxiety, trying to get rid of that nervous energy, trying just to get out and feel human again, is very understandable. It happened that way also in God's message to us in his history book, which we call John, the Gospel of John. It's not only God's word, it's a historical account of God's message of salvation and grace and forgiveness to us. Well, today I am reading from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And as you can see, if you want to look at that, that's John chapter 21, 1 through 14. I am joking about that because normally I have my Bible with me and I look in the Bible, but uh, today I've got this sheet of paper. And so you can follow along with me as we take a look at John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. The title in NIV is Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish. In the English Standard Version, it's Jesus and the seven disciples. Well, let's take a look together. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Let's count how many are there. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee. By the way, Nathaniel, this is only the second time Nathaniel is mentioned. The other time is when Jesus first calls his disciples and Andrew calls Nathaniel. The sons of Zebedee, well, we know that James and John are the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So that's where the English Standard Version gets the seven disciples. Seven were gathered together. And again, as I said earlier, in historical and biblical accounts, and especially with the Gospel of John, Seven is a significant number. It is a whole number when taking a look at the whole universe, God's creation, the earth, which is normally seen as four, the four points of the earth, the four corners of the earth, and three for the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when those two are combined, seven is a very important number. By the way, John also uses seven a number of other times in his gospel. We can think of other accounts, including the seven I am statements. So seven was a specific number that was important to John. And he pulls together the seven disciples who were, after Easter, a period of time after Easter, after they had sheltered in place, were out doing something to occupy their time. And I say that this was after Easter because we're in John chapter 21. And the very first word of John chapter 21 is afterward. And if you look back in John chapter 20, Jesus had already appeared to the disciples twice. Once on that first night, Easter evening in the upper room. And then a week later with Thomas, also known as Didymus, who was the twin, or we call him Doubting Thomas, 
So a week later, Jesus appears to him twice. This is the third time that John makes reference, and it says afterward. So we have that idea that afterward, Jesus appeared to these seven disciples. So they were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I love how Simon Peter, after he's been cooped up, let's say, in Jerusalem, says, hey, I'm going to go about my business. I'm going to go out and take care of business. What else am I going to do? I'm going to go out on the lake. I'm going to go out fishing. Now, a lot of us like to go out fishing during the day. We've got blue water underneath us, and we've got white clouds ahead of us or above us, and we like to go out and fish for those who like to fish. We like to be out in God's creation and being good stewards of his creation, being out there and seeing what's all around us. However, in Middle Eastern times, and specifically in the Sea of Galilee, a lot of times they would go out and fish at night. Fishermen know that in larger seas and larger bodies of water, fish will come up to the surface or closer to the surface so they can feed and they can do the things that they do underwater. And those who are deep down, the big fish deep down, come up to the surface, or at least closer to the surface. So a commercial fisherman, someone who made their business by fishing, would go and fish at night. That's exactly what happened. They go out and fish at night, but they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, no, we don't, they answered. He said, throw your net out on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, we identify him as John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. I'm just going to pause there for a moment. And I want to make sure I say this understandably, but also delicately. In biblical terms, many of the times when you were out on a boat with your mates doing your work, you didn't really have a lot of change of clothing. And so they would take their garments off and they would fish out there. There wasn't a lot of embarrassment about being around people who didn't have their robes on or their outer garments because they were working. That was working men. I know when you see men working, a lot of times if you're out in the yard, you got to take the shirt off because you're getting all hot and sweaty and you just are out there working. Well, that's exactly what the disciples were doing. They're out on the boat. There's no embarrassment. They're working. They're doing the stuff that men do. And then Peter hears, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. We don't know why, but I can imagine that the reason why Peter put his robe on is 
Just like any of us, when somebody comes to the door and rings the doorbell, we want to make sure that we look presentable. When we are around others, we want to make sure that we are well-dressed and look presentable. In olden times, when you came before royalty, you put your best clothes on. I know nowadays during the pandemic, during the quarantine, there's a lot of jokes and memes out there about people not having their hair done, not putting on makeup, etc. And I'm sure once we get out of the shelter in place, we're going to have a lot of beauty products being sold and a lot of hair getting cut. But until that time, and specifically here with Peter, it was the idea that he was, well, let's put it this way, could have been naked and afraid. Now, some of you have seen that show, and I'm not going to go off in that direction, but I want you to think about someone else who might have been naked and afraid in biblical times. Can you think of somebody? You might have to go all the way back to the beginning of biblical history. Yeah. Adam and Eve. They were perfectly content with God until they sinned. Until they caused God grief and let Satan in. Sure enough, what did they do? They hid themselves. They clothed themselves. They didn't want God seeing their imperfections, their sin, their mistake. What do you think Peter was feeling like? It is the Lord. It's the Lord. And Peter, in a sense of coming before royalty, in a sense of being maybe ashamed, afraid, unknowing what his Lord and Savior, his rabbi and teacher would do, wraps his garment around him. He's going before God. And sometimes we do the same thing. When we come before God, we don't want God to see all of us. We don't want to see God to see our inside, our outside, our, what's going on in our mind or what's going on in our heart. We kind of want to hide things away from God. And God says, don't worry. I know all about you. That's why I died on the cross for you. And why I promise you life here on earth and life eternal. Because I created you. I know everything about you. I'm holding on to you constantly. I know what's under your disguise, what's under the mask, what's under the robe, what's under what you're hiding. And I love you anyway. God says that to us. And he said that to Peter. And during these times when we're sheltering in place, we can go to God and say, God, let me be authentic to you. Because you're holding my hand even when I don't realize it. You're holding on to me and clinging on to me as I'm dealing with my anxieties, my worries, my anger, my frustrations, all the different things that are going on in life and all the things that I'm having to be concerned about. You're there with me. God, don't let me hide from you. Don't let me cover up from you. Let me just be open and authentic with you and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. And God says, I am with you always.
The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. I'm just going to pause here for a moment. A fire with burning coals. A charcoal fire. How many of you like the smell of charcoal fires? Well, I'll tell you, I love the smell of what goes on after the fire has been lit. But that same concept, men gather around, we barbecue, wives gather around, spouses, men, women, children, we gather around and we celebrate. That's one of the great feasts that we have in the American traditions, and I can't wait till we do that, whether it's starting Memorial Day or Fourth of July or Labor Day. Whenever it is, we gather around and we grill things. We put meat on fire, and we have a great celebration. But I also want to kind of remind us of just a little before John chapter 21, what happens around a charcoal fire. Do you remember? Jesus was before Pilate and Herod. And Peter was out in the courtyard warming himself by a charcoal fire, by a, a fire of burning coals, John tells us. And Peter denies Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. Can you imagine as Peter's walking up He's already anxious, might be afraid. We don't know what's going on, but he's in the presence of God who resurrected from the grave, who overcame death, who was victorious, who was the champion over Satan and all his minions. And there the Lord is standing before Peter. And Peter wraps himself up and he comes up to the charcoal fire the fire of burning coals. And I'm sure he's remembering how he betrayed Jesus. And what does God do? He says, come on. Come and eat. Let me feed you. Let me take care of you. Let me be with you. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, a charcoal fire, there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed into, back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Now, you've probably heard this before, and if you haven't, 153 was a significant number as well. Or at least those who read into biblical history and understanding. You see, the Greeks knew, or at least they categorized and thought that there were only 153 types of fish. That of all the fish around the whole earth, they would be numbered as 153 different varieties, different versions. Sharks, and tuna, and marlin, and catfish and bluegill and trout and bass, and you can go on naming them. The Greeks thought there were 153. And so John puts this in there saying, this whole number, this encompasses the whole of humanity, the whole of creation, the whole sum of all the fish. 
Why is that important? Because Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. That's what he tells his disciples. That's what he tells us. To be fishers of men and women of mankind, the whole world, across the board. We're there for those around us. And the net was not torn. That's an interesting statement because biblically, the net was often used in reference to the kingdom of God. The net of God, the kingdom of God, is tossed out to all of creation, all of humanity, all of mankind. No one is out of the kingdom of God for those who are in Christ. Let make sure you heard that. Those who are in the kingdom of God are very diverse. There's wide variety in all of us. There's a whole bunch who aren't in the kingdom of God. And God reminds us that we are to go fish, to be friendly with them, to take care of them, to be neighbors with them, to pray for them, to enjoy them, to seek them out. God's already out there working. He says, come on along. Let's go fish. We continue on. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I love that little section. The NIV says, come and have breakfast. Other versions of the Bible say, come and eat. Come on and eat. Enjoy the goodness that I have for you. When we gather around with brothers and sisters, with fellow Christians, God is there in the midst of us and he's saying, come and eat. Eat the word of God as we read his word. Receive the word of God through our sacraments of baptism and holy communion. Receive the word of God as we respond to God with our prayers and he prompts us with his spirit. Come and eat. Come and be blessed. God comes to us in the middle of our daily lives. He comes to us as, as we're sheltering at home, as we're remote learning, as we're putting together the meal and, and plans for our day and, and the, our, our dinner and lunch and breakfast. He comes to us when we're lying in bed at night wondering how we're going to have money for the next thing that costs money. He's there with us when we feel away from God. He's still holding on and saying, come, come be with me. God is always with us. He comes to us at the edge of our lives and in the middle of our lives, all during our lives. God's always there with us. And he says, come. Come and spend some time with me. Come and let me feed you with my grace and my forgiveness. Come and let me be with you. There's a lot of things that we as humans love to do. 
And men especially love to do things as well. I can't speak from a woman's perspective because you know I am not a woman. But there are things that I love to do with other men, manly men, guys getting together. We like to, to grill things. We like to shoot things. We like to blow things up. We like to do all kinds of things that we go, and we have a great time doing. There's a group of guys that like to go up to Carpinteria and they go up and there was a group that went up a week or so ago and they went out in these quads and ATVs and they were riding around the hills and they would stop and they'd plink and, and skeet and shoot and have a great time and then come back around and sit around a fire and drink some adult beverages while they're eating grilled meat. Those are things that we like to do. And God's right in the middle of it. There are people that like to go out fishing or play golf, like I mentioned earlier, and God's right in the middle of that. And there are people that like to DIY projects at home, and God's right there hammering the hammer and sawing the wood with you and fixing things up and laying tiled and doing whatever you're doing. God's right there in the middle of it. He's in the boat. He's on the water. He's on the lake shore. He's in your life. And he's saying there's nothing that's going to separate you from his love, his life, his forgiveness, his grace and mercy. God is with you. So brothers and sisters, when there's times that we want to throw our cloak around us and say, God, I'm naked and afraid. I'm ashamed. I'm anxious. I'm worried. I'm cautious. I want to hide. Don't. God is there with you. God knows everything that's going on. He's got a firm grasp of you. And he won't let go. Or maybe for those who might be feeling a little far from God, maybe you're feeling like God's no longer there in the middle of this quarantine. Maybe you feel like you've walked away from God. Maybe you feel like, ah, is God really there? Absolutely. I'm reminded of little children that I see that their mom or dad are hanging on to them, clinging to them, holding tightly. And yet the child looks away from mom or dad. And after a period of time, when they focused on something else, they get startled or scared. And they say, Mommy, Daddy. And daddy says, I'm right here. I've got a hold of you. And when you feel Satan, the evil one, the devil, his minions, his forces at work in your life, know that God's got a firm grasp of you and he won't let you go. And just say, Lord, let me turn to you. Let me be open to you. Let me remove the barriers and let me eat the goodness of your grace. Brothers and sisters, next week we're going to talk about moms. Today we talked about guys. Next week it's moms and Mother's Day and how they're the good shepherd in our life. And we take a look at the ultimate good shepherd next week. But today God comes to us and says, come and eat. And this week, as we're thinking about things that we can be doing 
on Tuesday, it's not only Cinco de Mayo where we're going to eat a lot of good Latino food, but it's also Giving Back Tuesday or Giving Tuesday Now. And so maybe there's something you can be thinking about for Tuesday, Giving Tuesday Now. There's actually websites that you can take a look at. There's different service projects that you can become involved in. Maybe there's a special nonprofit or faith organization, wink, wink, Salem, that you would like to give to or help support. Or maybe you'd like to do something in our community. Help donate some food to Charity on Wheels or one of the other service organizations in our community. Maybe you'd like to give blood. And so go online and find where you can give blood. As Jesus gave so willingly for us, maybe you can help those who need it as well and to give blood. Or maybe you've got a neighbor down the street and you want to be neighbor to neighbor with them. And you want to see if they need some shopping done. If they need some errands run. Or maybe there's a trail, a horse trail, a hiking trail, something around your house or in your neighborhood where you can go and just take a plastic bag and some implement that will pick up some trash or wear some gloves and just go out and clean up the trails around us. Or maybe it's while you're walking or driving you just wave and say hi. Hi, neighbor. Being neighbor to neighbor on Giving Tuesday now. Whatever it is, fill someone's bucket. Fill someone's need. And give out of grace and generosity. As God has so generously given for us. That's Tuesday. And then on Thursday, here's another thing. It's National Day of Prayer on Thursday. Maybe you want to take some time throughout the day and maybe set an alarm where every hour or every 90 minutes, there's a little alarm that goes off and you stop and pray for our nation, for our country, for our world, for our leaders. There's a lot of resources on National Day of Prayer on websites, and you can take a look. But you can be praying for our government. You can be praying for our military. You can be praying for our first responders and essential workers. You can be praying for businesses. You can be praying for those who are in hospitals and, and clinics. You can be praying for our educators and our faculty and staff and those who are sheltering at home and remote learning and homeschooling. You can be praying for the people of Salem individually and the people that you know who are incredible educators. And you can be praying for the churches around our nation and around our country that are proclaiming God's good news of grace. And you can be praying for your family, those under your roof, those of your extended family, Moms and dads, brothers and sisters, people who are family. Pray for the family. You can be praying on Thursday. And whether you set an alarm or whether it's 8, 10, 12, 2, 4, 6, 8, pray. Pray. We can be generous. We can be praying. And we're also called 
to be there with God, to be able to receive God's grace and to be sure and to share it with those around us. So this week, as you get out under the blue sky and the white clouds, whatever you're doing, know that God has you firmly in hand and has wonderful things in store for you. Not only an everlasting life, which we hope to achieve and we know from God's promise that we will, but also here on earth where we can share that good news, where we can go fishing with the kingdom of God and know that our neighbors who are diverse and different, but also the same because they need God's grace, we can go out and care for them and be neighbor to neighbor to them as we join G Jesus on his mission. God bless you and be with you as you continue being held in the hand of God and as you continue receiving his grace of love and forgiveness and peace. Amen.